have that confidence in the power of your might. And so, Lord, we just lift up this morning once more as you speak to us, as you guide us in and through your word, that, Father, you would prepare us once again for every good work, even as we see time is truly of the essence. And so, Lord, just fill this place this morning. Just speak to us and guide us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell him, Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. Well, happy Labor Day weekend. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. We'll be picking back up at verse 4. And as always, if you arrived here today without a Bible, we'd like for you to follow along. And there should be one in front of you underneath the seat. But if there isn't, if you raise your hands, the ushers will bring one to you. Is there anybody that needs a Bible? Everybody's good? Well, very good. 1 John chapter 3, starting at verse 4. Go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word. I'm going to read to verse 9, but we'll see how far we get today. Chapter 3, verse 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Father, I just pray that you would give us wisdom and understanding in these verses, that we would see the application to our lives and the reality, Lord, that you have chosen to see us just as if we have never sinned. Doesn't mean that we still don't deal with it, we still don't struggle with it, we do. But nonetheless, God, we thank you, Father, for the perspective that you have given us from, from, from your throne, Lord, and how you view us. And so, Father, I pray that we would be a people who are well-pleasing to you. Show us through your word how that is to be possible, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. John has been presenting, the Apostle John, a series of theses and antithesis for the purpose of a joyful Christian life. A thesis is a proposition presented and maintained by reason. And what he, how he is presenting his thesis, if you will, is by the truth of the Word of God, the truth of the Scriptures. Antithesis, it is, if something is true, then the truth of the opposite is implied. So if you tell somebody that they're good-looking, it's implied that you do not think that they're ugly. 
if you tell somebody they're smart, it's implied that you do not think that they are dumb. If you tell somebody they're godly, it's implied that you believe that they are not ungodly. So along these lines, the Apostle Paul has stated, if you, again, he's speaking to the church, he's speaking to believers, if you walk in the light, you are God's. But if you don't walk in the light, you're not of him. Walk in the light, we saw in past studies, walking in the presence of God. We must consider that. Next, if we confess our sins, we'll be cleansed. Antithesis, though, if you don't confess your sins, you won't be cleansed in the sight of God. If we keep his commandments, we know, we know by, well, we experience him. But if we don't keep his commandments, we have no relationship with him. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say, Jesus said. If we love one another, we are in the light. If we don't love one another, we walk or live our lives in darkness. If we love the world, then we do not have the love of the Father. If we love the Father, we will not have a love for the world. The world is all of that that is in opposition to God. And if I am anointed by the Holy Spirit, I know I have Christ. If I am not anointed by the Holy Spirit, then I am not the, but I am a antichrist. If we abide in God's word, we will abide in Christ and in turn abide in the Father. If I do not abide in the word, follow the direction given to us by the scriptures, I do not abide in Christ. And if I do not abide in Christ, then I do not abide in the Father. So last week, last week we had our yearly sauna service. Remember, we didn't have any air conditioning. Um, we decided to turn the air conditioning on for you today. Um, they, Edison had a power outage, but we saw what it meant to abide in Christ. Now we're looking at this epistle of John, and he keeps bringing up that word. He brought it up in his gospel, so it's important to understand what it means to abide in Christ. And we'll look at that again, just the points that we touched on last week. But if you are abiding in Christ, then you're excited about his coming. If Jesus Christ was going to come, if, if, if we got divine revelation, which we won't get, but nonetheless, if we did, and Jesus Christ is coming back tomorrow, would you be excited about that? Would you be telling people about Christ? Would it motivate you in that way, and you just couldn't wait till you're in the presence of God? Or does it concern you? Does it even scare you? Those who are abiding in Christ are going to be excited about that. If you abide in Christ, you will strive, you will do your best to live a holy Christian life, a life that honors God. Because it's definite, the people who do not abide in Christ, regardless of what they call themselves, they don't live a holy Christian life. If you abide in Christ, you're a child of God, and you have every confidence of being a child of God, knowing that truly he is your father. And it's just a blessing. Matter of fact, we're told that we can even boldly enter into the throne room of God. If you abide in Christ, you are looking forward to eternity with God, that forever I will be, forever we will be with him. If you abide in Christ, you have a pure heart before God based upon his grace. God looks at you again just as if you had never sinned. Apostle Paul spoke, alluded to the same thing, used different terminology. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ, or those who are abiding in Christ, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so in Paul's verse, in Romans 8, 1, 
What does it mean to be in Christ? Well, it's the same thing as abiding in Christ. That means I'm excited about his coming. I live a holy Christian life. I understand and know that I am a child of God. I'm looking forward to eternity with him, and I have a pure heart based upon the grace of God that has been bestowed upon my life. The Apostle John, if you recall earlier, he wants your joy to be full. And if you know that you are walking in him, you will have full joy. Even as I said about Donna, if you weren't here, I came out a little while ago, Donna has gone to be with the Lord. But Donna was was joyful all the way, all the way until the end. Now, the last couple of weeks, she didn't acknowledge anybody or whatever, but it seemed like every time I, I, I went to visit her, oh, Pastor Mike, I can't believe I missed VBS. I can't wait to next year. She was just excited about these things. And, and I'm just looking at her and think, God, if I had half the faith that this woman has, I just, just see how she exemplified and exuded a relationship with Jesus Christ. And would it be to God that we would all have that attitude about ourselves? Would it be to God that we would have that confidence, not in ourselves, but we would have that confidence in the Lord? So today, verse 4, we'll start off our lesson as the antithesis of verse 29. So look at verse 29. It says, If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. But look how verse 4 is the opposite of it, if you will. It says, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawless. So verse 29 is all about living in righteousness. Verse 4 is living in lawlessness or a life that is apart from God. And so once again, he's writing to the church. He's writing to the multifaceted body of Christ, or at least those who are in the body of Christ, although may not be part of the body of Christ. That element of the church, that element of the church who shouldn't have joy, element of the church that's not walking with God and has no no confidence in the Lord or ought to have no confidence in the Lord. So as far as the church, it's heart check time. I'll be looking at verses 4 through 9 answers as answers to a series of questions. First of all, are you submitted to God's authority? Secondly, have you ignored God's only solution to sin? Thirdly, do you understand the privileges of abiding in Christ? Fourthly, is your life being lived as a child of God? Fifthly, what is the source of you of your style of life? And then lastly, have you been born of God? So we'll start off in verse 4 today. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Are you submitted to God's authority? The only way that you could be submitted to God's authority is through God's word, because it's the only way that we're aware of God and aware of what God desires, the only way that we're aware of truly what sin is. Now, when I used to do electrical work, I drew plans. I did what was called design-build. I would go and I would walk the job. They would tell me what is necessary. I would design the plans and then I would give the plans to some of my employees and they would go and build the job. They would go and do the electrical. Now, if the plans were good, then everything was good as long as they followed the plans. If the plans were corrupt, if the plans were bad, then they would be led astray. But sometimes they didn't pay attention. Although the plans were good, they didn't pay attention to the plan. And then they went astray and it caused a lot of problems. 
Well, God had planned things out. We got his word. We understand and we know the law. And we know the law is not to make a person righteous, but to reveal how we so go astray, to reveal the sinful nature. Because again, when Jesus Christ died upon the cross, what was it that he died for? Well, the answer obviously would be sin, but do you understand how that worked? He, he didn't die for, well, in my Catholicism, we would go to confession, and we were told to confess our sins. And so I don't know how often my parents took me, maybe once a month, I just don't remember. And so can you imagine being a young man and having to remember two months worth of sins? And so I would go through the, well, I lied five times. I don't have any clue how often I lied. It was probably a lot more than that. And I did this and I did that. And I was kind of, it was truthfulness in one aspect, but I was kind of making things up in the other aspect because I didn't want to go in there and tell them I can't remember anything. And I didn't want to go through the whole list. It would have kicked me out of the church. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't die because you lied three times. He didn't die because you stole that candy bar back when you were four. He died for your sinful nature. Because that's what is revealed through the law of God, our sinful nature. I come to the realization that I'm a sinner. And I've got to do something with that. But unfortunately, I can't do anything for myself. But Jesus died so that my sinful nature would be cleansed. I'd be washed clean by the blood of Christ. Although my sins were as scarlet, I have been cleansed as white as snow. That scarlet, well, is to have that perfectly pure, if you would, suit, shirt, or whatever, and just have that one little spot, that one little blotch upon it. And it's going to be that, which although everything else is perfectly pure, that one little thing is going to be that which stands out. And that's kind of how our sinful nature was. I can't cleanse it. What am I going to do? But Jesus Christ, based upon what he has done upon the cross, has washed me clean. Romans three nineteen through 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And so that's how I know that I've been separated with God. And it's the conviction of sin or the guilt of sin that tells me I got to get right with God. And, and that's a good thing because John had said previously in verse 9 of chapter 1, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the guilt is a good thing. It's kind of like that pain. The pain when you have, it tells you that something's wrong. The guilt or the conviction that I have of my sin tells me that there's something wrong and something needs to be taken care of so that, well, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness and sin is lawless, that I would not be seen as being lawless in the sight of God. And so God's word, the ultimate authority for godly living. It's that which is pure. And as I follow that blueprint for life, I do well. As I veer off, well, conviction enters in, guilt maybe enters in, and I need to get back on track. It keeps me going in a good direction that I would honor God with my life and honor God with all that I do. Those who ignore those things, those who refuse to acknowledge such things, you got to go back to the core. H have you hindered the spirit in your life? 
Have you grown callous to the Holy Spirit, which convicts us of our sins or brings that guilt into our lives? Because there's reason and purpose for that, as we just said. It's for, you, for us to repent of our sins, and we would be going in a good direction with our Lord. Now, perfection, perfection is very far from everybody. But we are told in Romans chapter 2, verse 6, that if you would live a perfect life, you would be right with God. And that's what Paul was saying here. He says in verse 6, Speaking of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds, eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man, who does evil for the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and to the Greek. So this tells me in verse 7, eternal life to those who by patient continuance, that means always every single day, that I'm as good as God is, good as the example that Christ has set every day of my life. Does anybody live up to that? To, to those people who obey the truth and, and, and do these things, then there's glory, honor, and immortality. But the problem is, I can't do that. Matter of fact, I find myself more in the other camp. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also the Gentile. It means everybody. And so I find myself in that camp. Because what is Paul doing in Romans? He's looking at the pagan, but now in this particular section of Scripture, he's looking at the religious person. And just as the pagan was lost and they were perishing, so is the religious person apart from Jesus Christ. You think you're right. You think you're good because you're religion. You think you're right with God because you're sitting in a pew right now at Calvary Chapel, Ontario. That ain't going to happen. That carries absolutely no weight with God. You've got a good opportunity to be saved because the word's going out, but you're not saved just simply because you're sitting here or any other church in the world. God, God desires that we would see, that we would see the sins of our lives and that we would make the decision to repent of those sins and to walk rightly and strongly with him. If I understand the magnitude of the cross and the great love with which the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God, then that being the case, I would be quick to repent, to acknowledge sin, that I would humble myself in the sight of the Lord and allow him to lift me up. Because again, you just never know. You never know how quickly these things happen. It was just a month or two ago that Donna was fellowshipping with us, and now she's in the presence of the Lord. But she was prepared for God's presence. Are you prepared for God's presence? Are you prepared? She had no idea that she had cancer, but she did, and it took her life. Are you prepared? Because nothing tomorrow is guaranteed to none of us. But that's okay. It's okay because it's all part of God's plan. Who did Jesus Christ come and die for? All of humanity, but because all of humanity is sinners. We're told in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God demonstrates his own love towards us that yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for the un ungodly. He didn't come and die for the godly because the godly would not need anybody for him to die for them. 
And there's no such thing as the godly apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so it's all about God's grace, this free gift that he gives to mankind. Every plan that man has ever fostered is based upon what he is able to do. What we're able to do. You got different denominations, different beliefs, and the cults, and all of this, and they all kind of come up with their favorite thing, trying to leap up into heaven. What's the problem with trying to leap up into heaven? Well, number one, nobody can get there. But even the greatest leapers, Michael Jordan, if he was here, he'd fall way short. Every single person that tries to leap into heaven, tries to get into heaven by their own works, is going to constantly fall short. You're not going to even come close in the sight of God. Why? Because your nature has yet to be dealt with. My nature has been dealt with through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, how do you know that? Well, I have a surety because even as I write this list down, I do a check in my own life that I'm excited about Jesus' coming. Uh, I'm not saying this arrogantly because you, be you should be able to all come up here and basically say the same thing. But if I found out that Jesus Christ is coming tomorrow, I would be very excited. I would gather my family together and I believe that they're all born again and just be excited and looking forward to that time. But then we would disperse because I got other people in my life that need a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then, and then to live a holy Christian life, to have a desire to be pure before God in the manner in which I live my life. I, I don't always live in perfection without a doubt. We just saw that that's impossible. But I have that desire within my heart to reflect manner of living that Christ set for us all. I'm excited about a child of God. That way I can walk in, as I've pointed out so many times, although an imperfect person, God would even be excited to see me. I'm looking forward to eternity with him and that where he is, there I will be one day also because Jesus has gone to prepare a place for me. When it says, in my Father's house are many mansions, what he means is there's many dwelling places. There's many dwelling places that are great and are amazing, even as we saw with the men's study on Wednesday morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It'd be a crime to try to describe what those look like. It would be unlawful. And then I try as best as I can to keep that pure heart before God because I want to honor him in all that I do. And so submitted to godly authority. He says here, again, verse 4, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And the idea is commits it and continues in it and ignores God's solution for sin. Verse 5, and you know that he was manifest to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. This is God's only solution for sin. We're told in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven by which men, mankind, must be saved. There's no other way. Every other way is built upon man's work or some kind of figment of his imagination. You've got Hindus. You, the god of the Hindu is a, I think it's 10 arms, I don't remember, I haven't studied it, it's 10 or 12 armed elephant. I mean, really? And it's as if Satan has a field day with these things. The Mormons believe that you're going to ascend into heaven and you're going to be a god of your own planet. Would you want to be a subject of that planet to have you as god? I wouldn't, you or me. 
And again, you have these means of which man has built these things up where the essence, the core of their beliefs, if you whittle it all down, is pride. Is pride. It's that which has been contrary to God from the beginning. In Isaiah chapter 14, the devil, I'll be like the Most High. And even Eve, I want to know, I want to know good and evil. You, you know, that famous movie line, you can't handle that truth. And we can't. You can't. You didn't, she didn't need to. She didn't even need to know about it. But she went and stepped over the line. She went and visited it, to not just to her detriment, but Adam's and all of humanity as well. Do you have a better idea or a better way? Or maybe you have chosen to ignore the inevitable, hoping that it will just work out. The inevitable will be the day of our death. Because the survey's in, one out of every one, sooner or later, is going to die. Everybody in this room, barring the rapture, is going to die. Are you prepared for that day of your death? Most people choose to ignore it. We don't want to talk about it. We don't talk about such things in the midst of polite company. Or we'll make a joke out of it. There's, they call them black comedies where they laugh about death, but really not really visiting death. Now, where else in your life does ignoring something cause it just to go away? Now, we're a little bit early, but April 15th is coming. This year, and you can tell them, Pastor Mike said, ignore the tax man. Just blow him off. Don't worry about it. You know, that's not just, you know, you figure, well, nothing will happen on April 14th. Nothing's going to happen on April 16th. Nothing will probably happen for a month after that. And that's just a long ways away. Eat, drink, and be happy for tomorrow you get fined and everything else or jailed. Or your mortgage. Don't pay your mortgage. You know, that's a lot of money. Just think of what you could do with all of that money from your mortgage. Yeah, eventually, you know what, if you don't pay, they're not going to kick you out the next day. They'll probably send you a letter. They'll probably be real nice at first. They'll get nastier, but you'll start to recognize them. And you can just throw them away because we're ignoring it anyway. And, you know, you'll probably be able to stay in your house for three months. Maybe you'll even be able to extend it a little bit longer with that. And that's just a long time away. Don't worry about it. Or that traffic ticket. Traffic ticket that you got, don't worry about it. They're not going to throw you in jail on the day that you don't pay it or the day after. And it may take a while. And hey, maybe you'll never get caught. Maybe you'll never get pulled over again. And just think, you would have paid it for nothing. And you're thinking, you're laughing because this is just stupid. Because you know the IRS one day is going to come knocking at your door. And they're going to haul you off. And that, that amount of money will be multiplied by 100. Or the, the mortgage company they're going to come knocking on the door of the county sheriff. They're going to throw you out of the, uh, out of the house. Of one day, that day is going to come. The day of our death is going to come. How well prepared are you for it? And just as I said previously, I like doing funerals because I see the value in a funeral service. Everybody that comes to that funeral is concerning their own mortality. They're thinking, what if that was me today? That, that's why you hear so many tears. They're crying for that person up there, but they're also crying for all of humanity. And, and there's just this great opportunity. And how I usually present it is, 
I'm here today not so much to talk about this particular person, but I want to present to you what the Bible says about death. Because I guarantee you, wherever it's at, the people that are there, they are interested in what the Bible has to say. You all know what the Bible has to say about death and how that we can have eternal life. God's solution for the death of mankind. We know this. We have what they want. Now, again, they put on that facade, but deep down inside, they know. Have you ever shared the word with a group of people and everybody just kind of blows you off or even worse? But then later on, that one person will come up to you and maybe ask you a question or whatever. They'll put on that facade, that, that gang mentality or that mob mentality, but inside, they really want to know. You guys have the truth. So again, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifest to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. We're told in Hosea chapter 10, verse 13, You have plowed wickedness, you have reaped iniquity. You have eaten the fruit of lies because you trusted in your own way in the multitude of your mighty men. Daniel chapter 5, verse 23, And you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know, and the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all of your ways, you have not glorified. God will not be ignored. And so it's his plan from the beginning that he and the person of Jesus Christ would come into the world to save sinners. Amen? Hallelujah. That's our great hope that we have within us. Remember hope? Trusting in God for the future. It's the message that I gave yesterday at the convalescent home. People in wheelchairs, and there's a lady who wasn't there yesterday because she died just a week previous. And, and so the, you give them, give them this message of hope that this isn't what it is all about. What life is all about is our future in the presence of God. It says, and you know that he was manifested. This word manifested tells me that Jesus was not created. He was not born or constructed for just this time or purpose, but to be manifest means to be revealed. It's to be previous existing and now revealed for all to see or all to know. Now, I know that Jesus was born, but that was part of the revelation. He didn't just come into the ex in existence on the day that he was born. He had previously existed. He was always Savior of the world. Matter of fact, he was Savior to the Old Testament saints that believed in him. He had yet to die upon the cross, but he was still the Savior. And then came that time, that point in history, when he was revealed to all of mankind that whoever would call upon the name of the Lord would truly be saved. Now, that's kind of how John started things out here in 1 John chapters 1 and 2, that which was from the beginning. And now when he says beginning, he means from the beginning of time eternal. I shouldn't even say the beginning of time, but just past eternity. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifest or revealed, and we have seen and bear witness and declared 
declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was revealed or manifest to us. And so what he's speaking of is our life and our mission. Regardless, ladies should know this, your spiritual gifting. Regardless of your spiritual gifting, the bottom line is, is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That he has been manifest, he has been revealed to me. And he's been revealed to me as, as Lord and Savior. And I've seen the reality of that in my life. It's the power of our testimony. And that through me, he would be revealed to others. And again, that's the way it's been working throughout the past 2,000 years. 2,000 years, it's been somebody speaking the gospel to somebody, to somebody else, to somebody else, until finally somebody spoke it to you and you believed. And it changed your life. And what are you to do? You're to carry on the grand tradition You're to continue to speak the gospel, to reveal Jesus Christ. Because how is Christ revealed? He's revealed through the manner that which you live your life. You change the life of the believer. He's revealed through creation and then the word of God as we speak the word of God. And that's where the attack is, the truthfulness of the word of God. It's attacked there. Creation, evolution, it's attacked there. Change life of the believer, it's when we stumble and fall and don't repent. But as I do repent, people can see me. But they don't see me as a perfect person. You ought not to, because I'm not. But see me as somebody who is saved because of the grace of God. And that tells me, tells them that they can be saved as well. I found three reasons that Jesus was visibly manifested or revealed to us. First, so that we would know that he is the foundation of our faith. He's been the foundation of the Old Testament because we see Jesus on every page of the Bible. Maybe you've heard that term before. I've seen that, the reality of that, because now we have been through every book of the Bible as a church. Took us, what, 20 and a half years to finally do it. But I've seen the richness of the gospel message in Obadiah. I've seen the richness of the gospel message in the book of Ecclesiastes. I've seen one of the greatest books of the Bible displaying the gospel and God's love to his people, the book of Numbers. The problem is, people. I was, tell, I was telling another pastor, he's asking me, so what are you in now, what are you teaching? I go, well, on Thursday night I'm teaching the book of Numbers, and he started laughing at me. And I go, what's so funny? He goes, well, I bet that's riveting. And I'm thinking, has he ever read the book of Numbers? I mean, we just think it's a bunch of numbers and a bunch of lists. And it does start off with genealogy and it ends with genealogy. But inside is all about God ministering to his people. And we see these rich pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, it's on every single book of the Bible. Previous, obviously, in the Gospels and Epistles, but also in the future in the book of Revelation. And this is why Jesus was revealed to us so that we would know and understand that he's the foundation of our faith. And so... The greater portion of the Bible, if you look at it, and if you divide it off Old Testament and New Testament, there's more Old Testament than New Testament. And if you know, don't know Jesus Christ, then you're not going to understand the majority of the Bible. But once you come to this understanding of Christ, you're able to look back and say, hey, that was the plan all along. That's what God had in mind from the beginning. And that just speaks of a confidence that we're able to have of the reality and the truthfulness of God's word. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 9 through 11, For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. 
but let each one take heed how he builds on it, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And so again, what do the cults do? They take their building off of the true foundation and they try to put their building on a, well, as the Bible calls it, sifting sand. Sifting sand of human works. Sifting sand of some sort of philosopher. The sifting sand of, of some other way. But unfortunately, that building falls and great is its fall. So first, the first reason that Jesus was manifest to us so that we know that he is the sure foundation. Secondly, the second reason Jesus was revealed to us is to destroy the works of the devil because he's such a deceiver. He understands we won't use me here as the example. We'll use, we'll use Steve over here as the example. He knows Steve. You don't have to look at Steve because you can use you as the example too. He knows who we are and how we are. He understands the things that cause us to stumble. And he'll tell us that these things are okay. Remember Eve? There was one commandment, Adam and Eve. There was one commandment in the garden. Don't eat off of this tree. One commandment and they failed. They failed, and the devil deceived them, and he got them to partake of that, and they sinned in the sight of God. And he works the same way. Well, Jesus came to destroy that work, because we've all been deceived. And the devil hasn't had to work very hard of it. Our flesh has caused us to go after these things that are contrary to God. But nonetheless, we have been deceived, and we've, and I hate that term, fallen into sin. Has anybody here just kind of, whoops, fell into sin today? No, we, every time we've sinned, we pretty much have sinned twice. We thought about it, and then we did it. And so every time, the devil, the devil, he, he deceived us, and we thought it was going to be something beneficial. We thought it would be something good, but we were deceived, and it's just the sewage that we fell into of sin. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. What are the works of de the devil? The number one work of the devil is to separate mankind from God. That's his number one work. He deceives us. Hey, you got all kinds of time. Kind of what I was talking about with the IRS and all of that. That day of reckoning is going to come, though. Hey, you got all kinds of time. Just, just take your time. The Word of God, it's not really true. I mean, you know, it was written so long ago, and how could it possibly be relevant to today? Man has got so much more information and so much knowledge. We understand of all of the contradictions that are in the Bible and the untruths that are there, although nobody's ever been able to display even one. He was able to, I mean, think of this. He was able to deceive one-third of the angels. These are angels that were in the presence of God. These are angels that were in heaven. They saw God in all of his glory and all of his purity, and they were still deceived by the devil. He's very good. And then again, in the Garden of Eden. But why, did Je why was Jesus Christ manifest? To destroy these things. That although your sin, he will forgive us of our sins. Again, as we see in chapter 1, verse 9, if we repent of our sins. He's destroyed that work. I'm born again. He's destroyed that to keep me from the presence of God. As far as a third of the angels, well, they just lost out. They were in the presence of God, and they rejected God, and they will get their due. 
And then as far as the Garden of Eden, what that really speaks of is man's sinful nature. Jesus has come to destroy the sinful nature of mankind. And so what we see here is, is the works of the devil. What is able to overcome the works of the devil is the works of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the ultimate work of the Lord Jesus Christ is his work upon the cross. Why did Jesus go to the cross? For the express purpose of reuniting mankind with God, to deal with that which caused the separation, our sinful nature. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, that is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's why he was revealed to destroy the works of the devil. And then thirdly, why was Jesus Christ revealed to us? Well, so that we would be reunited with God and we would once again have eternal life in him. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, In this, the love of God was manifest toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might have life through him. Thursday nights, I stand at this pulpit. I have for the past, I don't know how many years, and I could look back there and see Donna sitting there. I mean, it was just such, she was just, again, just such a joy. I mean, I would, I, I would be in the back. I would put my microphone on as they're playing the last song, and then I would go up, and Donna would be there, and I'd say hi to her, and then she'd start into some long conversation. And something that just grabbed her, and she was just excited about it, and I'm thinking, Donna, I've got to go up there. Donna, I got to go. Okay, okay, Donna, I got to go. Donna, I gotta, I'll talk to you afterwards. You know, but she was just excited about what she was excited about. But I can't imagine that pales in comparison. Right now, she's looking into the eyes of Jesus Christ. I can only imagine. Somebody should write a song about that. <laughs> she's looking into the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, no more sorrow and no more pain. She's experiencing no more sickness and I guarantee you, she would tell you it's all, it was all worth it. It was all worth it. And the thing about it is, I don't need to hear from Donna what it's about, because one day I'll experience what it's all about. We have, whether you're a born-again believer here today or not, you have what is necessary for eternity with God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And the question always boils down to, do you believe? Because when you ask somebody that they believe, that goes down to the core of who they are. See, I can sit in church week after week after week after week. I can read my Bible. I can pray. I can do all of the things that we're supposed to do. I can build a pretty nice facade, but belief is what penetrates all that and gets to the core of the matter. And, and even if you're just not sure of yourself, that's the acid test. Do you really believe in these things? The devil is going to try and sow doubt, so the doubt is always going to be there. The greatest theologians who have ever existed, the most godly theologians that ever existed, I guarantee you, they struggled with doubt. Every time that doubt enters into my mind, and it does enter into my mind, 
the one thing that the main thing that keeps me centered back in Christ was the work that he has done in my life was the day of my salvation I just revisit first love because you know you can hear the arguments you can even argue amongst yourself and doubt enters in and then you're thinking you know these things that you thought you would never think but then I remember the day of my salvation and I remember who I used to be and I remember how contrary I was to Jesus Christ how contrary I was to Christianity but it was just through the simple hearing of the word of God that he altered my life and brought me into the family of God and for me that cast down my argument that 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 moves doubt out of my mind it's out there and it's lurking and it's going to visit back but they whoever whatever cannot argue against that and doubt cannot overcome what Jesus Christ has done in my life and I pray that you have that same ability that same ability to remember you may not remember the exact date I'm not talking about that but the time when God visited you for the purpose of your salvation because really what that speaks of is the core of my belief and my belief is what keeps me centered on Christ. And it's going to be my belief that will give me eternal life. It's the avenue through which Christ entered into my life. By grace you have been saved through faith. Faith is, in, um, is a result of belief. I've been saved by the grace of God. Not based upon who I am. It's all based upon who he is and based upon what he has done. In Old Testament times, his manifestation was a mystery, looked forward to in anticipation, but for us, it was his past appearance for our future and our presence with him today, and we rejoice in that. So the summary of these two verses, we knocked two of them out today, we'll get the rest in the weeks to come, but the summary of these verses, because we are lawless, we are sinful, Jesus Christ was revealed to us as the sinless one who is able to take our sins away. The most wondrous news that has ever been revealed to mankind, your sins have been taken away, again, through belief in Jesus Christ. It's a concept, these first two verses, that really did need to be labored, that we would have an understanding of that which can seem confusing in verses 6 through 9. Again, we're not going to go through those today, but because of the manifestation of Christ, I have been reborn and live a life as if I have never sinned. Do I sin? Well, we've made that perfectly clear, and we clearly know that by our our lives but God has chosen to take them away when it says he has taken them away it means he has carried them off he has taken them from me and took them away from me so that when he looks at me he sees me just as if I have never sinned now I've got seven grandchildren and they're all rotten to the core but I love them with all of my heart and I look at them as if they're perfect they're far from perfect, but I look at them because I have this great love for them. That's how God looks at you. You're rotten to the core, but that's okay because when he sees you, he has chosen to see Christ. Christ was sinless, and he looks at you as if you are sinless. Why? Because he has taken your sins and your lawless deeds, and he has cast them. Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he, has he removed our transgressions from us. And do you see, and I'll close with this last thought, the importance here 
It does not say that you have cast your sins as far as the east is from the west. You can't do that. God has made a supernatural decision to do a supernatural work in your common life for the purpose of seeing you just as if you have never sinned. What an amazing work God has done. What amazing God that we truly serve. Father, once again, we just thank you for your goodness and your graciousness. We thank you for your word. And Father, I just pray that the church is strengthened and that our joy would be full through your word today, that we would truly have a confidence in these things and rejoice because of them. I pray even this last song, God, that we would just truly sing out, Father, as we come to a fresh awareness of our grace. As the Bible speaks of singing a new song, A new song is saying, because there is a fresh awareness of the grace of God. And so, Father, I pray that truly we would have that heart to sing out. And so, Father, I pray for those who maybe were convicted, for anybody who was convicted today, for anybody who is unsure today. Well, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all of your unrighteousness. Is all you need to do is to come before the Lord and repent. This is something that you do deep within your heart as you commune with God. And so, again, we have this opportunity that we would have a gathering together of people here who are are perfectly right with Lord God of the universe. Think of the magnitude of the love that God has lavished upon us that we would be called his children. Father, we just thank you for that, and I pray, God, that we would be a people who would rejoice. I pray, Father, if there's anybody in this room who has yet to receive you as Lord and Savior, I pray that they would be open to your, to your conviction. I, I pray, Father, if there's anybody who's become angry because of this message, that you would understand your anger is based upon your own rebellion. And, Father, I pray that they would surrender themselves to you. And so, Father, we just thank you that you have given us this time and this day. Just be glorified once again through our humble lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please? A couple of things. We're having a baptism coming up.